Winter was here, but we're just getting started on our Game of Thrones rewatch here on Post Show Recap. And now, here are the two guys who are still looking for the breastplate stretcher. I'm Rob Sisterino, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I really, really wished that uh, Bobby B. had indeed invented that. I don't think that's a real thing, at least in our daily lives, but I could use one for myself. I think the closest we have is on a flight, you can get the seatbelt extender. (laughs) Yeah, no, you really just have to be able to have some flexibility in that department. You know, it's just very forward thinking, uh, Robert Baratheon. You know, he gets a lot of he's overly judged, I think, judged harshly for his style as a king. But he was on the money this one. And here we are ready to talk about episode number five of Game of Thrones first season, The Wolf and the Lion. This is our non spoiler section. We'll tell you about what happened in this episode. If you have not watched it recently, we'll get you all caught up there. You first timers will all be okay. And then we will get into our deeper dive talking about everything and all the ramifications that come out of this episode. Josh, first off, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing quite well. I'm doing really well after watching this episode, uh, which I thought was very fun to revisit the wolf and the lion. This is a this is a fun episode of Game of Thrones season one where there's a lot going on. There's a lot of action. There's political intrigue. There are betrayals. Uh, there are new clues about some new mysteries that are going on. Everything going on with Tyrion Lannister is getting even more complicated and the blowback is hitting King's Landing. So, no, I thought the wolf and the lion. I thought that this was uh, two thumbs up for me. Yeah, the Stefan of Westeros with a, this episode had everything. Sword fights, jousting, political intrigue, cat chasing, breastfeeding. I, yeah. I, I thought that you meant like Stefan, like Stefan Urkel for some reason. <laughs> yes. And like Robert Baratheon's kind of like a reverse Stefan Urkel where, you know, back in the day he was like this super strong, sexy, suave guy and now he's just Bobby B. Like he's just like, you know, it's, you know, like he's like in, not that Steve Urkel was kind of in Bobby B shape, but I feel like that's right. just it's Stephane the reverse Urkel, journey. Is, is there a time travel element there or is it like a parallel universe? I don't know if it's a parallel universe so much as it's a transformation Mm -hmm. you know i think it's just like a reawakening of this uh it's like a jekyll and hyde sort of deal okay so let's not go too far down that rabbit hole josh that's a future podcast that's a future or a parallel dimension podcast (laughs) yes okay so uh let's get into what went on in this episode of course you could subscribe to our game of thrones post show recaps feed to hear everything that we are doing here and on the hollywood reporter josh's home base for all things game of thrones you can subscribe to postshowrecaps.com slash g-o-t iTunes and this episode starts off with more investigation into the matter of Sir Hugh where I think that we get some more clues here that it seems as though Sir Hugh seems like he was paid off by somebody to poison John Aaron that there are clues about how he afforded this new armor we still don't know who might have paid him off but that seems like that's what is being shown to us Varys the spider seems to think so at least in his insinuations with ned stark and Varys is coming across as a very shrewd and intelligent guy and a very well-connected guy as well so you it would not be unwise to to heed his words cautiously at the very least as ned starts to do here big Varys episode by the way right uh this is probably the biggest Varys show case that we've had through five episodes 
episodes, and he's really all over the place. We see him interacting with Ned Stark, having his turn at sort of a one-on-one with Ned, like we've seen Littlefinger in the previous episodes. And he, too, recognizes Ned as a major cog in the King's Landing politics. Yeah, the cog man. Uh, No, he notices that in Ned Stark pretty quickly. And Varys himself seems like he's really in the hub of things uh, where he seems to he knows a lot. He has his little birdies. He is coming to Ned. He has been studying Ned for about a month, it seems like. There's also this great scene between Varys and Littlefinger, who we already know is, you know, a smooth talker, a fast talker, always looking for a great opportunity. So you get the sense that there are these two big political movers and shakers meeting for the first time privately for us as an audience at least and that becomes a very cool scene and you may even be hearing a little bit of Varys elsewhere in the episode in between those two scenes though the exact content of what is going on in this scene where Arya is traveling through the dungeons beneath the Red Keep we don't fully understand what Varys seems to be up to there but he's having some sort of secret meeting with somebody so that's something to put a pin in for sure also in this episode uh uh, we see some more of the mountain. A lot of stuff comes out of this joust. We see the mountain end up losing a joust to the Knight of Flowers, Sir Loris, who we get to see a showcase of him. A lot of <laughs> Sir Loris. In this episode here, he ends up unseating the mountain. Who does not take that well, Josh? Yeah, the horse was in heat. Who knew? That's a that's a dastardly trick. Uh, and Loris is able to outsmart the mountain, though, you know, for everything else that the mountain has going. So Loris might have been in heat also. It's possible. You know, the mountain does not seem like he is the sharpest uh, sword in the arsenal. So I think at least in terms of his uh, his wits, maybe his actual sword is very sharp, considering what he's able to do to his horse after he's unseated, takes it out on his poor horse, is almost going to take it out on Sir Loris. And wouldn't you know it that the mountain's brother, the hound, Sandor Clegane, he steps into the field and he takes the heat and the two of them are fighting for a little while. And I don't know. I felt very hyped watching that scene. It just seemed yes. like a like a very, very cool confrontation between these two brothers who clearly have a lot of sordid family history between them based on what Littlefinger told us in episode four. Uh, you know, maybe some of that backstory now just paying off just a touch. We see a lot of stuff going on with... Cat Stark as she has apprehended Tyrion Lannister in this episode and she has made everybody think that she is headed back to Winterfell. She is actually headed east to the Eyrie to meet up with her sister Lysa but along the way that they are intercepted by the hill people Josh. They are the hills have lots of guys and eyes that are coming that are that are coming down upon this party and a lot of people are going to end up killed as a result of this fight. Uh, Tyrion Lannister is going to kill his first person ever. Uh, He has his shield that he is going to he's going to bash one of these clansmen's heads in and Bronn the sellsword is going to be one of the uh, the four survivors of this fight and he and Tyrion seem like they are hitting it off quite well already telling lots of jokes here on the road towards imprisonment for Tyrion he's in good spirits at least even as a captive fast friends and Tyrion warns Kat that you know your sister Lysa she's changed she was always a little bit touched but she's really off the deep end and I guess nothing could have prepared Kat for what she sees when Lysa has uh, her son 
Sweet Robin, uh, six or seven years old, uh, as you know, uh, feeding at the teat of Lysa Aaron as she greets Kat, and she's not happy to see Kat or Tyrion Lannister. This show has been so great with the kid acting. You know, up through five episodes, all of the kids that we meet in Game of Thrones, I do think, have just been like ex- excellently. Uh, all of these characters are just like excellently brought to life. Uh, everyone is so fully realized, even just like the little twerps are just like so perfect at being twerpy and we have not reached an exception to that rule yet you know sweet robin may be the twerpiest of the twerps I want to make uh, the bad man fly <laughs> make the bad man fly mommy you know he is just very very annoying in a glorious way uh you know is that the bad man is he the one who we want to kill and why can't he fly yet and we're gonna find out exactly what that all means but i think you can already use your imagination that this place that the errands are inhabiting sweet robin and his mother lysa this is a fortress called the airy in the vale in the easternmost part of uh, the central region of westeros and it is very rocky. It's very elevated. This fortress is damn near impregnable, according to Tyrion Lannister, though Bronn apparently has a plan for how he would fix that. Uh, but you see when Tyrion is thrown into what is called a sky cell uh, that this place is very high up. And if you were to go, quote unquote, flying, as it were, it, re- it would really be a short flight. You know, you would really not be up in the air for too long, though, probably longer than you would be comfortable with. Right. Several seconds as it would take you to hit the ground. And I love Lysa Aaron's interpretation of John Aaron's final words. The seed is strong. Obviously, he was referring to his very strong seed, which is Sweet Robin, of course. Uh, what a strong boy he will be. I am the strongest of all of the boys and all of the girls and all of the men and the women and the people of Westeros, and I am the best. He's really just, uh, <laughs> oh, he's spectacular. Spectacular to see Sweet Robin here. And so Tyrion Lannister thought he had problems being accused of being the person to send the assassin to go kill Bran Stark. He's also now being accused of murdering John Aaron. He's like, whoa, I've been busy. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been killing so many people. Who knew? Yes. And so that's how he ends up being thrown into the sky cell. Word ends up getting back to Ned Stark that his wife has taken the imp. She has taken Tyrion Lannister prisoner. He ends up hearing that from, I want to make sure I have this right, Yorin. Yorin, Yorin, yes. Yorin. This is the same guy who was uh, joking around with Tyrion up at Castle Black earlier in this season. Ned is uh, very surprised about this news. It has not gotten to everybody yet, but it will end up reaching the Lannisters by the end of this episode when Ned ends up being intercepted by Jaime Lannister, and they end up having a major duel, which uh, there's been uh, no love lost between these two. Ultimately, it ends with a Lannister soldier stabbing Ned through the leg with a spear, and Jamie did not seem thrilled that that happened. Did not seem thrilled that that happened, but frankly, he was already acting fairly impulsively anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of bad blood between the Starks and the Lannisters, and it's even mentioned in this episode that it feels like uh, these two sides will be going to war with each other imminently. I believe that's what Varys is saying during his uh, his little quiet walk through the dungeon with the still-to-be-revealed uh, person that he has been speaking with. Um, but you, you start to, I mean, you very much understand why Ned is suspicious 
suspicious of the Lannisters for pushing his son out of a window. Uh, the Lannisters now know that the Starks have taken one of their own hostage. On top of that, at the time of this uh, skirmish between Jamie and Ned, Ned has quit being the Hand of the King. He tossed in the towel. He threw off the badge and put it on uh, put it on Bobby B's desk and said to Robert Baratheon, "Find yourself a new hand. I'm not going to be participating in the assassination of Daenerys Targaryen because Robert Baratheon has found out at this point that Daenerys has married a Dothraki warlord and she is pregnant with his son. And Robert Baratheon has no love lost for the Targaryens. Wants to see them all taken out because they pose a threat to his reign over Westeros, his position on the Iron Throne. And Ned is the only person on this council who doesn't want any part of this kind of a uh, this kind of dirty work. So he quits. Rob Baratheon is not happy about it, and Ned is about to leave King's Landing with his kids because he knows that the fit is about to hit the Shan because of what Catelyn has done with Tyrion. But he decides to stick around for just a little bit longer because Littlefinger says, "You know, I do have one other person you could talk to in this John Aaron investigation that you have launched." And Ned decides to just hang around a little bit longer. And if he had just left when it had been planned, Rob, mm-hmm. maybe Jory Castle would still be alive. If Jory Castle had stayed behind at Littlefinger's brothel for like five more minutes, he may still be alive. That one girl was like, hey, stay, <laughs> stick around. Do you think she could see the future? She was like, trust me, you don't want to go out there. You want to stay here. Yeah, hang in here. <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a, that's a a shame. Uh, a lot of things went wrong for the Starks in this episode, and some of the, some of the Stark characters that we have been getting to know so well are either maimed or dead by the end of this episode. So it's brutal, brutal stuff for sure. And uh, Jamie Lannister riding off. Uh, you got to imagine that he is going to face some kind of blowback for this as well. But who knows? Who knows exactly how severe that'll be? Josh, anything else you want to set up up front before we head into our spoiler discussion of this episode? No, not really. I mean, great scene going on between Robert Baratheon and Cersei Lannister, where it really becomes clear that there was never any shot at a true romance between Cersei and Robert. That's just a great scene, I think, and one of the many examples of just the fantastic character work that gets done on Game of Thrones. Um, beyond that, there's no Jon Snow in this episode. There's no Daenerys Targaryen in this episode. So it's a good example of how some of the characters and some of the storylines you're following closely they're not always going to appear in every Game of Thrones. Sometimes people take a seat on the bench. Uh, this was one of, I think, I think this is the earliest example of some of the most main characters up to this point, just completely sitting things out. So uh, get used to it. That's going to be the way Game of Thrones plays. All right. And if you're not ready for the spoilers, then it's time for you two to sit this one out as Josh and I head into a deeper dive of this episode. All right, Josh, that's it. That's it. That's spoilers. it. That's it. We're in spoiler mode, full-blown spoilers. We could talk about how aliens invade Westeros at the end of season one. Oh, my God. And how the, the bright lights abduct all of the lords of all the noble houses and the king and the, the, the queen alien shows up and it's crazy and they have acid for blood. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. none of that happens. No. I was just more filibuster in case you were scrambling to get out of this podcast. Now I feel like I have bought you all the time that I possibly right. can. But this episode here, 
the die is pretty much cast in terms of where everything is going to be headed over these next seven seasons. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've already been seeing um, so much of this come into play over the past couple of episodes, but it now has reached uh, its its boiling point. You know, the acts of war have been have been committed, uh, and really that that is signaled with Catelyn taking Tyrion at the end of Cripple's Bastards and Broken Things, but it's escalated so much further here by the end of The Wolf and the Lion, where Jamie and Ned Stark are fighting it out, and there is outright bloodshed between Lannisters and Starks. And you know me, Rob, in these past few podcasts, I've been trying to keep an open mind and sort of look at the earliest signs possible of, is Jamie Lannister really not so bad, even from the jump? Um, but aside from the fact that he has pushed Bran Stark out of a window with the intention of killing the poor boy, he has also drawn first blood. You know, he com- he commands his people to kill the Starks and capture Ned. Uh, so he is the, you know, maybe he has, you know, cause to be as pissed off as he is about Tyrion getting captured, but he is the guy that spills blood on the battlefield in this war for the first time. Right. Maybe a miscalculation on Ned's part to say, Yes, uh, my wife did that on my order. That was not the case. Had Ned led with, yeah, my wife is out of control. Let me, I mean, the Honorable Ned Stark <laughs> would never do such a thing. But, it, he, you know, he could have maybe in that instant handled everything better there. Josh, my biggest takeaway from this episode is, and we hear the, the words actually uttered in this episode, King Robert will call Ned the Honorable Fool Ned Stark. And so my question to you, and obviously, you know, we don't know this watching it the first time through, but then if you watch season one and then rewatched it, you would say, oh, okay, Ned Stark, honorable fool. But now with all the information that we have now after seven seasons of Game of Thrones, Knowing what we know about Ned and his backstory with his sister, with the Targaryen baby who was hidden away and a Targaryen pregnancy and maybe at this point being a Targaryen sympathizer. Does that color the events of this episode for you in a different way where Ned Stark wants no part out of the murder of Daenerys Targaryen's child with Khal Drogo? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I I still think that maybe he could have taken, you know, he could have been a, a little bit more tactful in his approach here and not be so fire and brimstone. But that wouldn't be Ned Stark for a guy who is characterized by ice, not fire. He can get a little hot headed himself. Uh, and can be a little bit stubborn. And I think you see that in really basically every single person with the last name Stark on this show uh, or even affiliated with the family. Um, but that being said, yeah, Ned has only once, you know, besmirched his honor uh, in terms of his public persona. And it's over something that's not even real. You know, he has taken on this lie. He has allowed himself to have this chink in the armor that he had a child out of his marriage and has brought the bastard back to the north to raise him as one of his own, to raise him at Winterfell. We know that's not true now. We know that Jon Snow is actually Aegon Targaryen, or a Aegon Targaryen, one of many, but the latest and the currently only alive Aegon Targaryen. And Ned knows this. Ned knows that the person that he is bringing back from the Tower of Joy is of this huge historical consequence, and he has done everything that he possibly could to hide this 
this, you know, young person's existence from the world because I think that he knows Robert Baratheon well enough that this is somebody who wants nothing more than to, you know, to kill the Targaryens, especially after uh, Rhaegar, you know, takes Lyanna away. He has very personal stakes in the game here. So there's really never going to be a world where Ned can tell Robert Baratheon who Jon Snow actually is. And then to just like to have it all confirmed for him, just reconfirmed how much Robert hates the Targaryen line unilaterally without giving it any kind of three dimensional thought. I think that that really must infuriate Ned and must really hit him at a at a place that's really, really close to his core, if not like the very center of who he is. And this big lie that he has been telling for all of these years, basically told just to save this poor boy's life. Um, it definitely makes a lot of sense why he's so upset here in this scene when you know the full extent of the secret that he's keeping. So is this all heart in your mind from Ned Stark? Does he have sympathy for Daenerys because she is of this Targaryen lineage, which is the same lineage that Jon Snow slash Aegon Targaryen is? Basically, it is, you know, in some way, some distant family member because of the relationship of Lyanna Stark to Rhaegar Targaryen? Or does Ned end up seeing some sort of a long game and just hear me out? Is this ultimately something that's good for Jon Snow if Daenerys Targaryen were to invade Westeros with this Dothraki army and put a Targaryen back in charge of Westeros? I mean... Can you imagine Ned Stark thinking that way? Like it's very Seems it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to think that he is he's got like that top down view that he has this see, you know, fight every battle at once mentality that Littlefinger at least claims to have. Uh, I think that that's it's a little out of character for him there. But what I what I do think it is, is I think that he thinks about Daenerys Targaryen and it probably reminds him very painfully of his own sister and his own loss and everything that happened there reminds him painfully of the lie that he is telling to save the life of Jon Snow. I don't think he has any designs on ever letting anybody know about that. I think that he would keep that secret until the end of his days as far as as far as he was able to without, you know, I, I do believe that if he had gotten the chance to meet Jon Snow again, he may have said something then. But I also think that it's just a, it's a realistic reflection on who his old friend is and, and who Robert is now, where I think that he is seriously looking at Robert Robert Baratheon and saying like, really, you have to kill this little kid. She's with the Dothraki. The Dothraki have never been in Westeros. We can worry about it then. We've faced greater odds before. We could handle this if this ever became a true problem. You're just going to kill a kid because and not only that, but a kid who's pregnant, like you're just going to go ahead and do that. And I think it just flies so far in the face of uh, everything that Ned stands for and everything that he thought his his old friend used to stand for and clearly doesn't anymore. So I think that he's just rightfully furious about all of that. I just I can't imagine Ned Stark having those really grand designs on like reinstalling a Targaryen on the Iron Throne. Um, I, I just don't think that's in his wheelhouse. I suspect that you're right on all of this, but there would be a lot of upside, I think, for Ned Stark. Also, best of all, Ned gets to say to Kat, hey, you know that thing, that one thing that you were mad at me about for 20 years? It didn't happen. 
I had a good reason. I had a good reason to lie. Uh, I, I never know. cheated on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that would really uh, re. You know, I don't know that it would walk anything. And also, back. I, I think, think that Ned is probably pretty disenchanted in Robert as a leader. Also, yeah, I think at this point. But I'll tell you uh, that I'm rather enchanted after this episode, Rob. In the Ned and Robert dynamic, I I enjoyed the scenes between these characters so much in this episode, especially that first scene. Great, Robert. Early. Episode all around. Oh yeah, yeah. Pretty early on in the episode when when they're in the tent and Robert really wants to be part of the tournament and poor Lancel is just getting punked left and right in this scene. It's just so great to see these two characters together. And I know that at least publicly it's been kind of ruled out. We have at least five different possible spin-offs in the works as of this recording of Game of Thrones, uh, when Game of Thrones does finally go off the air. There are five different projects projects that are at certain stages of development, some probably further along and more likely than others. They're all supposedly going to be prequels. Uh, none of them are going to take place after the events of Game of Thrones, and I don't think that they are going to involve characters from Game of Thrones. And I do believe Robert's Rebellion has been forbidden as a possible show. I think that's been um, taken out of the running. But man... Wouldn't the Roberts Rebellion show be so much fun? Wouldn't that be really, really wonderful to watch? This episode really made me feel that way. Like, I just want to see a, I want to see a few seasons that just show me young Ned Stark and young Robert Baratheon together fighting this war. Get young Rhaegar in there. Get young Lyanna. Why can't we have this thing? This seems like a nice thing that everybody would want. Yeah, you want the Better Call Saul of Game of Thrones? I mean, look, I think that <laughs> I think that that would be fun. Uh, find a role for Jonathan Banks and I'll be even uh, even happier. Could he play the young John Aaron? Although it's hard to cast <laughs> Mike Ermitrout as anything young these days. That's the trouble. I, I feel like they don't really care. Like if he's up for it, I think they would still have him in that role. Robert you, and Ned, you guys yeah. need to stay yeah. out of trouble. Vice is really driving me up the wall again. Hey. No half measures, Ned. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be great. But look, I mean, if the argument is we already know the outcome of Robert's Rebellion, so where would the drama be there? Then, like, that's the same logic that you have to now throw at A Song of Ice and Fire, the book series, when that finally finishes up, if it finishes up. Because Game of Thrones will have been finished at that point. So what's the point in reading it? It's all in the telling of the story, man. It's all about how you convey that to people and you create incredible scenes and you bring things to life that people have so many expectations over. That's the whole adaptation process to begin with. That was what watching Game of Thrones was for so long for people who had read the books until the show finally lapped the books. So yeah. I, would, I would be way on board for a Robert's Rebellion series. I think there's a lot of potential there. And Josh, I watched Star Trek Discovery. Their prequels don't have to be concerned with the canon of the franchise. They can yeah. just make up all their own stuff as they go along. And how else are we supposed to find out the midi-chlorian count for Jon Snow? Like, that's only going to come out in the prequels. We're not going to find that out in the proper Game of Thrones series. So that's right. It's important. It's important. That's right. So the conversation that Robert has, you alluded to, he has this really great scene with Cersei as they talk through their, basically their relationship, and uh, they both share a good laugh about what holds the realm together, our marriage. We know that King Robert is not going to be 
long for this world. But there is one moment in this scene, and I wonder if maybe this could have changed the destiny for King Robert. Let me play this for you, and then I want to get your reaction to this. So this is Cersei talking with Robert about the nature of their relationship. I felt something for you once, you know. I know. Even after we lost our first boy. For quite a while, actually. Was it ever possible for us? Was there ever a time, ever a moment? No. Okay. All right. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the possibility... Answer. Yeah. <laughs> we talked first a couple weeks ago about the possibility of could Gendry be the dark haired fighter that was the firstborn of Cersei and Robert? They're both talking about how they lost the baby. Does that sort of take that possibility off the table? Or all along did we say that they were under the impression this baby died? So if somehow it could be Gendry, or are we just grasping at straws? I think we're grasping at straws. I think we're we're grasping at ghost grass, Rob. I think we can uh, we can cut that down right now. That's fine. And this conversation, as far in my knowledge, this is a TV invention, and uh, this idea of this uh, black-haired baby, I believe, also a TV invention. So was that just them closing the loop on, or they brought this thing up, and then it was never going to be part of the overall storyline? Yeah, I think that's what it is. You okay. know, I th- I think it's it's more just to add a little bit of flourish and depth to their marriage and their relationship together, which and is appreciated. This, yeah, definitely, uh, because it gives us this great scene. Which you're right, this entire scene is uh, is completely for the show. Uh, Cersei and Robert are not POV characters, uh, certainly in this first book for Cersei, who does go on to have some chapters of her own later on. But Robert obviously never lives long enough to be a perspective character. So this is a scene that is completely. For for us and it's a great scene uh you know let mark addy and lena hetty go at it and you're gonna get some really good results and it's an it's an interesting scene because we we know that cersei has no love lost for for robert or at least uh not you know recently maybe there was once upon a time where she did lose some love for him and then it never came back uh, but usually these guys are at each other's throats and this is a you know one of the rare occasions where they're sharing drinks and like sharing a laugh and not that it's a happy scene by any stretch of the imagination but it has a different energy to it it's just it's really great and you're getting some more backstory on liana in the mix as well yeah and robert does not even know what she looks like it's actually a very sad scene especially now that we know the truth of all this where robert looked as liana as the one thing that was taken from him whereas we know that she actually did not love robert she seemed to love rhaegar targaryen she left robert she did not want to be with him but he looks at her as this long lost love that he was that was taken from him and she never wanted to be with him yeah yeah, so it's it's definitely poetic on that level for sure, and I'm I'm sure that that adds a little bit to Ned's views of Robert too, uh, like to know the truth about 
you know, why Liana had left the way that she did and that she really was in love with Rhaegar and not with Robert. And that was another secret that Ned was going to have to hold on from Robert. And I think that that probably just gets harder and harder to, to have to sit on that lie when you're seeing the person that Robert has become, too. So it just adds so much complexity to that relationship. Uh, it's it's really good stuff in that regard. Um, and also just like such a profound thing that like someone took Liana away from me and the seven kingdoms couldn't fill the hole she left behind like that's a that's a pretty profound loss that this guy is feeling uh you know almost two decades two decades later after at this point and now when robert answers cersei's question of you know was there ever a chance could we have ever have been something together and he says no had he answered that better do you feel like does that change any of cersei's plans coming up to take robert off the board no, I very genuinely believe her when she says it doesn't make me feel anything. You know, he gives her that answer and then he says, does that make you feel better or worse? And she says, it doesn't make me feel anything. And she gets up and leaves. I think Cersei's committed to the cause at this point. I think that Cersei at this moment is, you know, is far enough along that she knows what she wants to do here, that she knows that she has her eye on the throne, uh, does not need Robert to be in the mix anymore, has bided her time long enough. There's a lot of conversation in this scene about how 17 years is a long time how long can hate hold a thing together 17 years um so i think that it it really wouldn't have mattered to her i think that she was just kind of curious you know she she's probably entering this room knowing that this could very well be like the last real conversation she ever has with her husband so i think that she's just trying to whatever closure she can get is probably what she's after. Okay. We mentioned Varys. This was a big showcase for him. Josh, for me, this episode really does muddy Varys's intentions across the board because we see him in a lot of different settings and talking about a number of different plans, which would seem to have a number of different end goals. And I want to see if we can rectify exactly what Varys is doing at this point in time. And obviously, this stuff will come up again in season seven where Daenerys is sort of uh, really giving Varys the third degree about what did he want to have happen. So we see Varys talking with Ned and he seems to be feeding Ned information that will push him more towards going after the Lannisters. Uh, then we will see Varys uh, talking with Illyrio about the pushing for a war between the wolf and the lion. And he really wants to see that happen. But we're also going to see him with Robert pushing for this assassination of Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, so there's a lot of different things going on here. And to try and track it all, I think probably the most important place to start would be the conversation in the Red Keep, even though that's the second of three Varys scenes that all happen in a row that are all really important. There's Varys talking to Ned, then there's Varys talking to Illyrio, which Arya overhears, and then there's going to be Varys and Littlefinger. So I think you got to start with the one in the Red Keep with Varys and Illyrio, where I think that's where Varys is being the most truthful. Great. And I have the clip of that. Can we go to that? Yeah, yeah, okay. please do. Here is Varys in the Red Keep. He's found at one bastard already. He has the book. The rest will come. And when he knows the truth, what will he do? The gods alone know. The fools tried to kill his son. It was worse. They botched it. The wolf and the lion will be in each other's throats. 
We will be at war soon, my friend. What good is war now? We're not ready. If one hand can die, why not a second? This hand is not the other. We need time. Carl Drogo will not make his move until his son is born. You know what these savages are. Delay, you say. Move fast, I reply. This is no longer a game for two players. It never was. Great scene. Uh, so great. And really, really fun to revisit now that we know the full extent of show Varys at the very least. I think uh, it lines up really well with this scene. So, Josh, uh, help us make sense of what is Varys ultimately trying to pull off? So I think it's less about what he's trying to pull off and more him really stating the truth of the situation. You know, he is talking to Illyrio, who we know from his uh, uh, his first of only two scenes that he gets in the whole show. Uh, they really did drop the Illyrio ball. So say goodbye to Illyrio here. Uh, this is we. This is a guy who has armed up the Targaryens with an alliance with the Dothraki and is clearly a Targaryen sympathizer. And if Varys and Illyrio are on the same page, then that probably means Varys is a Targaryen sympathizer as well. And I think the future of Game of Thrones does bear that out, where at first he seems to be more Team Viserys, but over time I think he begins to realize that Daenerys Targaryen is the person to back. Certainly he's only going to have one Targaryen to choose from that he knows of, after Viserys gets killed just one week from now, Rob. Um, so there, so there's all of that. And I think that what Varys is saying here is not that he wants to be at war soon, but we're going to be at war soon. All of these circumstances are happening at a rate that we can't control or manipulate. Uh, the Lannisters pushed this boy out of a window. The Starks are catching on to it. There is going to be violence and conflict here, and it's not going to be great. And Illyrio is saying, well, why can't we just kill off Ned? Stark and be done with all this you know one hand is dead already how hard would it be for another hand to die and I think this is where we link it back to Varys's scene with Ned where Varys talks to Ned and he says to him like I've been surveying you for a month and you seem like a man of honor I'm a man of honor too strange as that may seem you know in the first run of these episodes you don't really know entirely where Varys stands but I think that time has bared out that Varys in his own strange way is a man of honor is somebody who wants to see good for the realm good for the people and i think that he sees ned stark as a possible agent of that as a possible ally in that and so when he's coming to ned stark and cluing him in on what he believes may have happened with john aaron i think that he's helping him out here and you would think that yeah well doesn't that just hasten the war i think what's going on is varus realizing that the war between the starks and the lannisters at this point is unavoidable it's inevitable and the only thing that I can do now is steer in the direction that I think is going to make the most sense for the conflict that's coming. Um, and I think Varys is trying really hard to be Team Stark here because I think if he is ultimately backing the Targaryens and if he knows that that agenda is going to have to be fast forwarded just because of the events that are currently in play, he's going to need to be backing the people who could be potential allies with the Targaryens at some point down the line. And if you're going to flip a coin and say, will the Lannisters be inclined to work with the Targaryens or with the Starks, I think he would be Team Stark in that regard if reason could be talked, uh, if, you, if he could talk reason with somebody like Ned Stark. Um, so I think that that's, that's what we're seeing there so far. Does that make sense so far? So far, so good. And do you feel like that Varys maybe from any of his little birds, does he have any sort of inkling about the true nature of the Lyanna and Rhaegar relationship? 
It's. I guess that's not off the table for me, though. I feel like season seven of the show would have bared that out a little bit more. Um, not even to say know, that he knows about Jon Snow, but just to say, well, there was more than meets the eye there. Yeah, I, I don't think that that would necessarily be impossible. There might be a few people who suspect that, and Varys would very well be somebody who could be in a position to to feel that way. But we because don't know Varys that yet. served the Mad King, correct? I mean, that you'd have to think that there was some talk during that time when you had you. You know, they were talking about uh, Robert as the usurper where the Targaryens were talking about, no, 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 trust, like, actually, that uh, don't call that, uh, you know, Rhaegar Targaryen. He's not a kidnapper. They're actually together. This is, that's actually a romance. Like, <laughs> like you would think that that deal. talking point would be out there in terms of defending Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah, I think like there's all a- the Westeros talk shows. <laughs> You know, there's. <laughs> this is Westeros today. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if uh, if Varys is going to have a lot of time to watch TV, but I'm sure his little birds are. I've catching known him Rhaegar up. Targaryen for many years. <laughs> Rhaegar Targaryen is a good man, and I have on good authority that him and Lyanna Stark actually are in a consensual relationship yeah it's possible it's possible he knows but i think that all of this still plays even if he doesn't like even if he doesn't know about a possible stark and targaryen connection i think that this all still still holds i think then like the the one that you start to kind of scratch your head about is so why is Varys, you know insinuating to ned that sir hugh of the Vale is probably the guy that killed john aaron like why is he continuing to push ned in the direction of the Lannisters are probably responsible for the death of John Aaron and are the people that you want to be coming after. I think that this is um, this is this is a point that I think you concede to Littlefinger. Uh, I think that this is this is a point in the column of Littlefinger's plan being convincing enough so far that even Varys currently has it wrong. Uh, and I don't think that that's unreasonable because you do have this great scene between Varys and Littlefinger, the first of these scenes, which are always a treat whenever you do get them. Where it's just the two of them and they're getting to, you know, like trade their wits back and forth and really show off who's the better connected and who's the smarter of the two and who has the furthest reach. Whether it's Varys like pointing out that Littlefinger has clients that have sex with cadavers or Littlefinger, you know, like really needling Varys about how he knows that he just took a meeting with Ned Stark. And what's more, I know that you just took a meeting with a certain foreign, you know, diplomat. Uh, and that seems to really get under Varys's skin where Littlefinger gets to you know it's a a real rally throughout that entire conversation and Littlefinger you know it's the it's the winning shot he hits a winner there and Varys is kind of left just like wondering what the hell just happened and Renly has interrupted so you've seen instances on the show at this point where Littlefinger gets one over on Varys and I think so far uh, we could say whatever we want about Littlefinger's plans ultimately knowing that they don't work out for him in the end of things that he is killed by the end of season seven but up until this point i think that he has successfully made it look like sir hugh is the guy and the lannisters are the ones that are most involved in killing john aaron when it was really him and lisa aaron but file away in the creepy little finger binder when varus and little finger are going to have that conversation little finger just standing in the throne room by himself staring at the iron throne that's got to be just like a tip off Okay, this guy is really up to something. 
just like Pennywise the clown, just like standing there, just like drooling, just like staring, like, you know, unwaveringly until like something like snaps him back. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm in a social interaction right now. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a creepy look for Littlefinger. Uh, not the first creepy look for Littlefinger and definitely not the last. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Renly and Loris Tyrell, who have a memorable scene together here. And I think that this is definitely a shot to the viewer upon your first watch through. Uh, Loris Tyrell really pushing Renly to uh, make a run at the Iron Throne as he is shaving him bare. I thought that Loris uh, has a, uh, a really crazy move where he just stabs Renly with the blade and says, see, this is blood. This is what this looks like. You're going to have to get used to this. Yeah, we're going to have to shave a lot of people and sometimes it's going to be bloody work. You know, we get really close to the, to the hair follicle and you, you just it, it's ugly it gets really messy uh yeah no i think that this entire episode does a lot of legwork in setting up the war of the five kings uh and this is another great moment where that is starting to come together where yeah you're starting to learn more about loris and renly and their relationship with one another and there's a great allusion to that earlier in the episode right after loris and uh the mountain joust and loris wins and Littlefinger kind of once again showing just how much he knows has that, you know, aside to Renly where he basically lets Renly know, like, yeah, I know you guys are together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just a, there's a lot of great work going on with that. But we know that Renly is going to be at least very briefly a possible contender for the Iron Throne once Robert dies. Uh, and it's not even Robert's death that gets people in his camp thinking about such a possibility. Like, you are getting this moment here well before Robert is going to be out of the picture where Loris is saying, yeah, maybe you would be pretty good at this. Like, you've got the better temperament for it for sure and uh sir loris a uh, gifted swordsman we learn yes uh if only his fist was uh as ironclad as uh as his skills with a sword yeah that is a marvel netflix bad joke about <laughs> the fact that the knight of flowers will become the immortal iron fist and it will not go well not go well okay josh you alluded as well to the clagane bowl preview that we got to Woo! see we were so Get lucky high! we were yeah, we took it for granted here that we get oh. our mini Clegane ball as uh, we see the Hound and Fake Mountain go head to head. First Mountain, first Mountain. First mountain. <laughs> I can't imagine third and final Mountain being able to like really like ride a horse with all that armor on. Like he's like that guy's just gigantic. Yeah, <laughs> it would be it would be bad. It'd be tough. Uh, but yeah, no, we we love. Oh, I love this scene. This scene is terrific because it really it gives us. It gives us some good information. Um, one that so early on in the series, we are seeing the Clegane brothers battle. And as we are entering the final six episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, at some point in the future, uh, far in the future as of this recording, but potentially not terribly far in the future, just in terms of life, uh, we know like this is going to get answered. This is going to get paid off. Like This can't just be in the first season of the show, and both of these characters are still actively on the the board there's no way that we don't see the Clegane brothers fight whether you know it's just because this scene already exists and then you combine it with that final exchange that they've had so far in season seven where the hound just straight up says to him you know what's been coming your way like the, the Clegane bowl was happening is there any doubt in your mind that this is happening no it seems like that we will ultimately get it I mean that the problem was that we had both of them in the same place at the same time in the season seven 
finale and then we've sent the hound back north and now we got to get him all the way back to king's landing that has not proven to be an insurmountable oh, yeah. Although problem at this point in the series <laughs> like boom 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 yeah. yeah like that feels like the the smallest of problems in terms of getting these two characters right. together i'm in a so, fifth season mentality right right yeah you got to start thinking season seven and really even season one where geography wasn't such a big issue either uh so i think it's happening uh and that's great and that's exciting and so if you accept that a Clegane Bowl is happening, then I think it's instructive to watch the battle play out here between the mountain and the hound, where the mountain is able to cleave the head of a horse off in like a single shot. And then he is really, really rampaging on Loris, who is supposed to be an incredible warrior here in the Seven Kingdoms. And I think is a much better warrior in the books than he is on the show, if you don't mind me just pushing my glasses a little bit further up my nose. Uh, but you see the hound come in and step in and save Loris, and he is able to block a full-blown sword swing from the mountain by just, like, basically sticking his own sword out there. And it's a great testament to the equalness of the strength between these two men. Like, there is just these, these – they are both incredibly fearsome warriors, and you would think that the mountain would just automatically be the favorite in any fight against basically anybody because he's so vicious. But Sandra Clegane holds his own he puts up a really good fight against his brother here so that's just getting me even more hyped uh just the memory of the fact that the that the hound can hold his own against the mountain and it's not just going to be like a lights out very quick battle between these two like it's a really even match and that's going to be oh it's going to be awesome it's gonna be so great when we get there the other major storyline in this episode is everything that's going on with cat and Tyrion, but the bromance between Tyrion and Braun really ends up getting born in this episode that we saw in the previous episode. Tyrion Lannister ends up saying like, Hey, I need a room here. Anybody want to give up their room? Braun is that guy. But then Braun ends up being really the MVP during the Hill People attack. And then we see Braun and Tyrion uh, really starting to develop this relationship. Uh, you mentioned the line that Braun has, but uh, just it bears repeating. Probably a top five Braun moment. The Eerie. They say it's impregnable. Give me ten good men and some climbing spikes. I'll impregnate the bitch. Maybe not so much a moment, but a top five Braun line. It's a it's an early bonding point for Tyrion and and Braun, where Tyrion responds to that by saying, "I like you," uh, and he's gonna like him a whole lot more after Braun is gonna volunteer to to do the trial by combat coming up here very very soon. Um, so yeah, there's a, this is the beginning of a of a Braun man. I don't know if yeah. that's what you want to what you want to call it here it. between between him and Tyrion, but it's it's spectacular stuff, and this is a character who really benefits from the adaptation to. TV, where he has some really great moments in the books as well. But Jerome Flynn, what he has brought to this character, uh, in my eyes at least, has really elevated Braun and the scenes that he gets to share with Peter Dinklage, especially. Although uh, Nikolai Coster Waldo later on, they have their own special thing. But just the Tyrion and Braun dynamic, it's fantastic. It's really fun. And seeing it in its earliest days here is uh, it's a true highlight of the rewatch for sure. Josh, uh, any other takeaways from this episode for you? 
Any other takeaways? Um, well, there's one. You get a full frontal Theon Greyjoy oh, yeah. scene. No, we got to talk about that. <laughs> got to talk about that. And, and really, this is, you know, the first time through, you're like, okay. And, right. But uh, really, uh, credit to the, the show on this, where in the same way we see close-ups of Jamie Lannister's hand and uh, Jamie Lannister talking about, like, oh, I'd hate to be disfigured. We do get uh, Chekhov's wang here with, the, the, you know, Theon <laughs> will go on to lose this appendage. Uh, we have Roz talk about how wonderful it is. Right, right. Well, he is like legendary for this. Right. this is a char- it's a character note for Theon that he is known for being very well endowed. Right. You know, if he doesn't have it in every other department, at least he's got it here. Does it live up to the billing in the, <laughs> with the dialogue? That I'm not going to, let's not speculate on that. Sure, no, 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 thank you. But I, but I do Diggler-esque, think that- I'm not sure. <laughs> is he a star? Is he a star? Is he a star? Uh, I, I think that just the, the inclusion of it here, it is one of the those things in retrospect where you know where Theon's arc is going and that he is going to be mutilated in this way. It's just it's an interesting early uh, early moment for the character that connects with his future self in a pretty dark way. Uh, so yeah, no, and what's interesting too is uh, it hadn't even been, con- it, it's still really not outright confirmed in the books uh, through five books of, of A Song of Ice and Fire, though it is heavily hinted at, but that fifth book that does the hinting uh, had not even yet been released at the time of the filming of this stuff so happy accident or something that george r R. martin clued benioff and weiss in on and said this would be a good thing to include on the show who really knows but it is you know it's it's a silly thing to talk about but it also is it's a really important they had to know right this can't be a coincidence yeah, I feel like it would it would be it'd be a really big coincidence, so uh so to speak. I mean there's uh, so I no other principle that does, you know, full frontal in terms of the male cast, uh, much to the chagrin of Amelia Clark, right? None that I can think of, yeah, off the top of my head. So yeah, I think that this had to have been intentional. Uh Roz really uh giving uh Theon the business though about uh she's really like uh in in, in a, a number of ways, I guess. But she's uh, uh, really like oh you're a gray joy like uh, she's ro- really roasting theon roasting theon he's an easy target you know the gray joys uh, are very easily picked upon um they do not have a great great re- you know reputation around the seven kingdoms nobody seems to respect these guys and that's you know as true as it is in season seven as it was in season one i miss Roz. i miss Roz. Roz i know was good. i know you do Roz was i good. know you you were the one fan <laughs> you liked Roz. <laughs> no why, why don't book shame me because she's not, in, not. The, in the books Roz was I'm fine not book shaming Roz you. Was fine. i'm not book shaming okay. you not book shaming you at all uh in terms of anything else that we really need to cover i mean you know we'll we'll get to uh we'll get to a lot going on next week with the final ride of viserys targaryen for one uh we will get to say goodbye to that character pretty soon the fallout of what happened here with the starks and the lannisters coming to to blows the big trial by combat in the Vale. uh lots of fun stuff coming up in episode six which is one of my favorite episodes of the season and one of my favorite episodes of the series um 
in that regard, I forgot to do episode rankings last week, Rob. Uh, so let me just give you my quick updated episode rankings through five episodes of Game of Thrones. Uh, I did not place Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things last week. I would say that's my second favorite of season one so far. I think that there were a lot of great moments in there and just like a lot of great thematic resonance uh, that's going to reverberate throughout the rest of the series. So I have that as my new number two. Uh, and The Wolf and the Lion I will I will put in as my penultimate spot right now at number four. So we're looking at Winter is Coming, number one. Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things, number two. The King's Road, number three. The Wolf and the Lion, this week's episode at number four. Lord Snow Remains at number five. Okay. And those are your top five. We are halfway through season one, Josh. Halfway through season one. Can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Time's flying. Uh, we'll be at the new season of Game of Thrones before you know it. That's a lie. No. It's going to tickle. No, it's gonna actually, it's some news this really week that time. it's going to be uh, maybe even longer than we thought. It's not that much longer than I thought. Look, if you're asking for my projection, my projection is we're looking at winter 2019. That's when I think we're going to see winter Game of Thrones. 20, as, as in January 2019 or December 2019? I'm saying January, February, March 2019, somewhere in that range. I think uh, HBO is not not going to snooze on the on the chance to have the final season of game of thrones taking place in the thick of winter both in reality and on the show uh so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say no game of thrones in 2018 is my prediction but we will get uh the final season shortly into 2019 so would be my best we'll finish our rewatch and maybe an extended road to westeros on top of that tack that on for a few extra weeks (laughs) of safety all right uh our braun mance is well underway that's our hashtag today hashtag braun mance as we go along here next time we will talk about the sixth episode of the first season of game of thrones looking forward to that make sure you don't miss an episode go to postshowrecaps.com slash got itunes to subscribe follow round howard on twitter i'm at rob sisterino josh anything else that's it check out all the cool stuff that we're doing here on post show recaps postshowrecaps.com slash itunes for everything that we are doing tons of stuff going on in the near future we've got mr robot coverage happening right sir now it's robot. happening it's happening it's happening sir robot indeed lord robot if you will uh so that's going on walking dead is not far away too rob you and i need to start putting our heads together for a plan on that yes very excited for the return and uh some negan backstory uh, lots of teasing of that coming up oh yeah very excited oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. the kool-aid man yeah <laughs> all right take care everybody have a good one bye